Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who just wants a 3D-printed pair of sunglasses that look good, Is that so much to ask? But in my spare time, I'm just a reporter, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power, change, and the people you need to know around the tech industry. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Nadav Goshen, the CEO of MakerBot. He's been in that role for two and a half years, but MakerBot has been manufacturing 3D printers since 2009. Nadav, welcome to Recode Decode. So there was a lot of attention around MakerBot and 3D printing a couple of years ago, and I want to sort of get—I wanted to get listeners to have an update of what's happening. Obviously, MakerBot was the, the best known, but there's been a lot of competitors since, and I wanted sort of people to get the lay of the land of what's going on um, with MakerBot. Now, you've been the third CEO since the purchase by Stratasys, which was back in 2012 or 13, something. 13, I think. 13, for, I think it was $600 million. It was a big deal at the time, something like that. And there was back and forth, there was some layoffs and, and stuff that went on. So why don't you give us sort of what's been going on since then and a little background on MakerBot for people who don't know what it is. I would be happy to. Thank you for having me here. No problem. Um, so, you know, MakerBot was the poster child of 3D printing. It was. And like every hyped technology, and there was a cycle for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and MakerBot was really went through that cycle. Right. At the beginning, I think we had as an industry a lot of expectation mm-hmm. from 3D printing. And I think during the time that had passed, uh, I think we also realized that the initial idea of having a printer any desk. Uh, right, is that was the concept. Exactly. Right. So explain what it does, just for people who don't know. Okay. You pr- can print... Yeah, what? So, okay, so 3D printing is, by the way, it's like science fiction. Right. <laughs> yeah, you have well, a Star, Star Trek. Huh? Yeah, it is. It has been in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And what you do, you have a file, a digital file. Mm-hmm. You send it to a machine, a printer, and, and that printer fabricates it and creates that file in a 3D printable format. Mm-hmm. And so that's the basic of it. But there are so many variations, like different technologies, different materials, and, you know, different, uh, I would say, application for it. And at the beginning, when 3D printing at uh, 2010, 9, was really became mainstream interest. And the idea was that maybe this will be a consumer product. Right. And when I took on board MakerBot, I think one of the most obvious thing uh, for me at that time was that the consumer product should be a toothbrush, mm-hmm. which means something that you 
use twice a day. Mm -hmm. You don't have, you don't need an instruction to use, right. and it's easy and affordable. Right. And that's not 3D printing. Yeah. No, and absolutely. So the idea was everyone would have these things. They were sort of square boxes, I don't know, the size of a very large microwave or more kind of thing. And what that happened was there was a lot of printing of weird little toys, mm -hmm. um, sometimes dishes, unusual things. But it, the, the idea, it quickly, from my perspective, and a lot of people put in designs, mm -hmm. right? And your, your community and yourselves created Correct. these designs. And it was typically this sort of gray plastic, essentially. It's just plastic goods. Yes. That's really what most of it was in the beginning. And so everybody thought they would have the idea when it was sold was you'd have one on every desk that you just print out. Mm -hmm. You know, I need some headphones, I'll have some. I'll, I need a cup, I'll have one, that kind of thing. And it just, one, it takes long to do it, even though it's kind of cool to watch. And the second is the stuff isn't quite so good initially, you know, in the consumer space. And then you run out of things you really want to print in that particular format. And so it was a big deal. And when it sold for that much, it was a big deal at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so do you think it's not a consumer product or how do you look at so, it? So, so I think it will be in the further down future. Mm -hmm. I think... Right now, and, and I think what we did, we identified what is the product-to-market fit. Mm -hmm. And that was the reason for the changes that we had to uh, make for MakerBot. Like right. It was built as a consumer company, product company, and, and that's not the case. It's not, you didn't have many sales of them, just regular people buying I think, them. I think, as you said, like the, the product-to-market was not the right fit. What was the cost of a small one? What's it called? The replicator? The replicator, I think it's about uh, $1,200 That's a lot like of money. Yeah. $1,500, $1,500 right. at the time. So give me your background. How did okay, you get so to I, be... Because what you sold to Stratus is it had several CEOs. Yeah. So you I, come in. So um, I do turnarounds uh, for the last 10 or something years. Mm -hmm. uh, what I do, I'm coding from the age of, I think, 12 or 13 I study cinematography, so I'm well versed in multiple disciplines. And mm -hmm. what I do for a living for the last 10 years is taking companies and trying to figure out what's the right product to market fit, what the technology that we should pursue, and how do we go to the market. And, and when I came on board, I think part of the reason for Where bring, had you been previously? I've been in Israel. Mm -hmm. I've been working in the ad tech industry, in the gaming industry, casual gaming industries. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. uh, I moved here about five years ago. And as I said, like going back to 3D printing and MakerBot, when we look at that, there was no fit. Mm -hmm. So first thing we looked at who can benefit from 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And education um, is a very, very strong segment and market for us. And mm -hmm. um, we are number one uh, 3D printer provider um, in the U.S. education system. Mm -hmm. um, so and, people learning about 3D printing. And, yes. and they're using, I think teachers are using 3D printers as a learning tool. Right. Because to, you know, we have like this sentence saying like, what, what is the main problem of education right now? Mm -hmm. Kids are not prepared for the future mm -hmm. because the job that we are, that we have today will not exist in the future. Mm -hmm. So how do you teach a kid for something that you don't know? Right. So the best thing to do that is to teach them about problem solving mm -hmm. and to teach them about critical thinking. So in a 3D printing in that regard has a very significant part. And they get the technology. And, and, and the technology, STEM. So it's like a combination of STEM and problem solving. Yeah. And, and I think when we did that, we, we learned that we're not selling a printer. Right. We're selling a learning tool. Right. Which means then when you go to the market, you don't need the printer. You need also the curriculum that is attached to it. And you need to, I would say, teach teachers how to use it in right. the classroom. So we change and we build like what we call MakerBot Education, mm -hmm. which is a segment that goes, you know, for K to 12 schools and give them, provide them with certification, 
the printer itself, curriculum, and a full ecosystem of, I would say, educational tools that are centered around 3D printing. So my kid has one in his school. I think it's a MakerBot, I'm pretty sure. I don't think it's an... Is it Aleph is your, your competitor? Who's, what's the other competitor in the... I think probably, like in, in the U.S., I think we are the, the leader. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, there's other competitors. Yeah, there are some. There are like, um, but I think he's got one in the... They've got one in the school, and they practice mm-hmm. They practice on it, essentially. Yeah. So you, you, you thought this was like... They, they had people learning how to use computing devices... Is the business not making things? That's that's one that's one segment. And I right. think like so, one of that is like how do you go and use three D printer to mm-hmm. advance, as I said, like the kids of tomorrow. Right. And that's one thing. The second thing, we still pursued the vision of making three D printing affordable and accessible. Mm-hmm. But in order to do so, we had to invest over the last three or four years in a new technology and a new platform. And two weeks ago, we launched. Method X, mm-hmm. which is what I think it's the f- next step in making 3D printing affordable. Okay. Because this machine is really fulfilling on the promise that we had in the past. So you have something that can print real plastic. What you said about, like, I'm printing plastics and, and the previous generation of MakerBots or any other desktop 3D printer, these plastic were biodegradable. Mm-hmm. So they're not real plastic. They're, you know, th- you put them, you know, in the sun, they will melt. Right. The current version of what we do really prints the actual pl- plastic that you would have in any of the devices that you buy. Mm-hmm. And also like the dimension accuracy. It has to be accurate to the design. Mm-hmm. It has to have, I would say, unlimited possibilities. So you're not limited by the geometries that you can print. Mm-hmm. So, and it has to be easy to use, accessible, and reliable. So, and to build such a platform, we had to invest the last three years in serious R&D and, and to make this happen. And I think like we were kind of silent just because we wanted to focus on the core of every tech company. Right. It has to be advanced technology, the right product, and it has to be something that take, I would say, the industry a step further. Mm-hmm. And I think with Method X, I'm very proud that I think this will be the beginning of the realization of that I so where say, does Method X go? As a, as a, it's a larger printer. It's yeah, it's a, a larger. It's, it's a really large printer. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it goes for the professional manufacturing business. So, so okay. we, so we were purchasing like the educational market, and with Method X, we are now tapping into manufacturing mm-hmm. because we can provide that real plastic. It's called ABS. Mm-hmm. This is the plastic that has been used in all of the, I would say, product that you you have. We have. So that's ABS, and it has the ease of use and accessibility that is required from a desktop machine. And this opens a new range of application mm-hmm. for manufacturing, uh, I would say, and engineering companies. Right. So, so they make what with them? So there are three like main applications. One mm-hmm. of them is prototyping. Mm-hmm. You're a product design company. Yeah. You try to develop the new mm-hmm. hardware product. Right. Right now, you're limited on your iteration cycle by the feedback that you get. And right. the feedback is the part that you have in your hand, which translates to your design. Mm -hmm. So right now, companies are delayed because of that, because the iteration process is longer. You have the part in your CAD uh, software, Mm -hmm. and then you send it to your service bureau and whatever, and you get it like a week after. Right. So if you're making what? Let's say you make like headphones, right? Right. You're like you're a company that makes headphones. Right. So you want to build a new line of headphones. Mm -hmm. So you you want to see like... How is the feel of it? You know, you want to test it. You want to see if it fits to whatever other thing. So you you design. Mm-hmm. And when you design, you get, you know, you want to verify your design. So 
After a week, you get it back. After you send it to a, like a service bureau or some, I would say, some other more Fate industrial. Fabricator, some fabricator. Yeah, yeah, an industrial 3D printer provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that time, during that week, your design became like, you know, outdated mm-hmm. because you have like seven versions ahead of it. Mm-hmm. So with method, we have this accessibility to have you as an engineer, the agility to rapidly iterate in a much faster way. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason that hardware development is limited and lengthy is because these iteration cycles are very slow. Mm-hmm. In software, you just deploy the code and you have it, right? Right. So I think this is the di- main difference between hardware development and software development. Mm-hmm. And Method X really comes to accelerate that iteration cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think what it will do, I think it will foster innovation. Right. And I think this is like our mission. It's like, to, you know, we believe that there is an innovator in everyone. And our job is to unlock that innovation. Right. So that's one very... So engineering groups, yeah. what, else, what other... So the other one is manufacturing. Right. Like, but, the, but the ability to have a real plastic fabrication, which is not biodegradable, which right. is the same properties of what we would have. It's injection molded plastic. Mm-hmm. You now open the, uh, the possibilities to have small production and use parts. Mm-hmm. So now manufacturing is not limited to... I would say, a, a line of manufacturing, production line, that mm-hmm. costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and has to be utilized for, I don't know, I would say millions or hundreds of thousands of, of, of parts. Right. Now you can have small production runs in a cost that was never accessible before. What is the cost of the MakerBotics? Uh, it's $6,400. $6,400. Yeah. And you sell it. So engineers, what other? What so are, as a small manufacturing right. uh, companies. Making anything. You, you know, like the base of, you know, people... I don't know, you probably know that, but mm-hmm. the core of manufacturing are the small shops. Right. They are right. not like the big ones. The big ones are, they have their place, but they are being supported by so many hundreds of thousands of small shops of manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And right. these are the, I would say, the, the typical customer for us. Mm-hmm. And right now they are excluded of 3D printing mm-hmm. because to get the same performance as, as Method X is providing, the equivalent product, the industrial one, costs $50,000. Mm-hmm. So they cannot spend $50,000 for something like that, but they can spend five dollars to $6,000 for Method X. Mm-hmm. So we're opening them for 3D printing. All right. And they would, so engineers, give me some examples. Engineers, small manufacturers. Actually, I'll give an wide. example. I'll okay, give, give me a good there, example. There is, there is a company uh, that does like some kind of uh, small agricultural uh, monitoring devices. Mm-hmm. So they have this device that you put it in the field, mm-hmm. and what it does, it kind of, uh, you know, transform and, and, and some kind of, of all of the weather mm-hmm. data and then it kind of, you know, feeds back to your uh, watering system mm-hmm. and it optimizes that. Right. So they have dozens of these and they need the housing. Right. And that housing to produce, they had to kind of to do like a line. And they right. need just only like a few thousand of these. Right. So now with Method X, they can just print it as an end-use part, mm-hmm. use it for their devices and now build a product line which is for hundreds and not for hundreds of thousands. Right, right, exactly. And this company is really a good company that would not be able to do so if hadn't Method X come to life. All right, we're here with Nadab Goshen. He's the CEO of MakerBot. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. 
Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We're back with Nadav Goshen. He's the CEO of MakerBot, which is a company that sort of got a lot of attention and then has been super quiet since um, because there was uh, different changes at it. Now, you're still owned by uh, Stratasys, right? Correct. How do you fit into that that business? <laughs> you laugh. I think, you know, laugh, I, laugh, laugh. Uh, I think like the, the concept of uh, innovation mm-hmm. uh, kind of, and how do you foster innovation within large Organizations, right? Is a, is a very, I would say, I laugh because it's a very complex and and I think challenge that many companies have. Mm-hmm. And I think the way to do so, in my belief, is to have a dedicated, isolated, different DNA subsidiaries. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's the hope, right? Yes. Right. And I think for MakerBot, that's that was the idea behind Instagram, and then now it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. But but I think but I think I think there is something about a DNA and mm-hmm. culture and mm-hmm. focus that is hard to replicate um, when you reach a certain size. Mm-hmm. And I think Stratasys and MakerBot are operating in that regard. Mm-hmm. MakerBot is fully owned by Stratasys. Still in here in New York? Still here in Brooklyn, New York. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we operate independently. We have our own freedom to pursue. But we are challenging things that like the big Stratasys might not think that is possible to challenge. Mm-hmm. And we do things completely different. And mm-hmm. uh, so I think the idea of having like a subsidiary that is somehow competing and challenging a parent company right. uh, is, uh, I would say, an interesting environment uh, to operate in. Sure. So when MakerBot was started, it was sort of this sort of skunkworks in Brooklyn, this mm-hmm. idea that when you think about something like this, you're a startup person. Is it necessarily such a good idea to sell at this point? Because it was sort of on the cutting edge of an idea that everybody sort of got, especially early adopter, kind of geeky people like the concept of it. I saw them everywhere and then I just didn't, which was interesting. How do you look at something like that? Because a lot of things that are probably promising technologies go through that cycle of sort of hype and then not hype. I think that if you invest in technology... Mm-hmm. Especially if, hardware. Hardware, like, yes. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very long cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think the thought behind having something which is a very long cycle of development, mm-hmm. uh, like... 3D printer, which is like one of the most complex uh, devices out there, uh, I think you have to spend the time in letting it uh, mature. I think it took us more than three years to develop a new platform. Mm -hmm. That platform will live for about five to ten years. So I think the investment required is completely different than of, uh, I would say, software business. Sure, absolutely. And in terms of like 
when is the right way to mature or not mature part of the understanding, by the way, and this is part of the changes that happened in Mechabot. Mechabot was not built as a technology company. Mm-hmm. It was built as more like a marketing company under well, a concept. Do, do it yourself, that kind yes. of thing. So, yes. so, so the transition or the turnaround for Mechabot was to make and build that DNA of advanced technology and product excellency. Mm-hmm. And that was not in place. So I think part of it is like, how do you take something which has a great promise, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe lack some of the core competencies uh, to make it a real business and product? Mm-hmm. And how do you build that? And, and, and I think that's a very heavy lifting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Especially around hardware. There's so many hardware accidents everywhere. And a lot of them, like I'm thinking of the one that started off called Aleph, actually, um, and it became um, a stereo maker uh, and everything else. Just, I see so many hardware companies go that way. Even Apple, you know, str- has struggled with the uh, with the watch. They just introduced new iterations, mm-hmm. but they have the money behind it to keep iterating mm-hmm. and spending money on marketing and, and different things like that. And they had a big hit with AirPods. You know, you can right. think of from the large to the small. What is the market for hardware right now? Like, wh- how do you look at the larger market? So, by the way, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I there think hasn't I, been a big hardware. Been. I th- I AirPods. Like, I think I'm trying to think of what's the big, like, that's a consumer one. And obviously, there's iterations. Think, in the, you know, go to the extent of it, like yeah. uh, autonomous vehicles. Right. Is, right. Is autonomous the, vehicles. Uh, you're right. Yep. Yeah. So, so, I think, like, if, if, if uh, you're absolutely right, I think hardware is... Hard. Yes. And I think because, and specifically something that has so many disciplines... Because mm-hmm. hardware that doesn't work by itself. It has software, it has firmware, it has like so mm-hmm. many different disciplines that are kind of had to work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not only you know the packaging. And I think because the investment required to make a good hardware product uh, is significant, mm-hmm. there are not many players that can tap into it. Right. Uh, and and you know you don't make mistakes. Everybody will make a mistake. And uh, smart thing about it is how do you learn from it and do it fast and you build the, the core competence uh, that is missing in your business. Right. And for us, it was, as I said, it took a while to build that and to transform MakerBot from being what it was to to bring Method X to life. And so when you're thinking about uh, that, let's go back to the consumer concept behind mm-hmm. this. Do you still believe there is an idea where people will manufacture things? Because so there was like food. There was, yeah. People were like, we're going to make food mm-hmm. out of it. We're going to make... Talk about that. Where no, is so, that? So, dr- so, that was sort of a dreamy kind yeah, of thing. I, I remember it, the founder, one of the founders, there were three of them, I think, talking about that. There could be food. You could, manu- you, you know, you can make clothes. You could make what was like everything. Yeah. It was pretty much anything on the table you can replicate. I think the, you know, at the past it was more talking about the concept and the possibilities, right, right. and less about what can really be used and been made. Right. So, mm-hmm. I, but I think you know, as I said, like like every. Technology uh, revolution, and mm-hmm. um, no, it has to pass through phases. Mm-hmm. It can't go from mainframe to cell phones, right? right? It has to pass through that two or four years that it goes to the semi-professional market, mm-hmm. and that semi-professional market will help to grow the technology and advance it to become a more consumable uh, phase. Sure. So I think this is where we at with Method X. I think we had the decision to not to, you know to try to overpromise. The reason uh, I was quiet is because 
you need to come with, you know, yeah. uh, the advocate for me and for MakerBot is the products that we, we that we make, not what we say in, in, on media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, offense. no, I know. No, we, I know we get tricked all the time. I'm not stupid. But, but, That's uh, why I'm, whenever I go, it, I'm known as tough just because I go, I don't understand that as opposed to, uh, oh, so, cool. I, so so yeah. I, I'm, I'm, fortunately or not fortunately, I'm not the guy that can't to, you know, to but promote. But talk about that idea, that, you know, because I do think, like, I was, I just was testing out a new set of uh, of uh, glasses, uh, 3D, uh, not 3D, uh, AR glasses. Yes. And these are cool, but they're not quite there yet. But yes. I still keep thinking the conceptual so, so, idea so, so, so behind them are fantastic. I think the concept of fabrication, mm-hmm. uh, small production and use parts right. in the, I would say, the consumer environment will happen. Right. I don't think it will not happen. It'll be five years from now, seven years from now, ten years from now, who knows? Right. But I think at the end of it, there will be a device that you can use to fabricate and to create something that is an end-use part, which means like it's something that you can use. But something breaks, for yes. example. Or, or, or by the way, if you want something uh, customized. Uh, Cover customized. for your phone. Yeah, oh, yeah something customized. So mm-hmm. I think there will be that, but I don't think we are at that time now. Mm-hmm. Definitely we weren't that five or ten years ago, and I'm not sure we'll be there in the next five years. Mm-hmm. It has to wait. Right, because some of the things I think, you know, I was sitting in my house and I broke something that was a piece of plastic. I'm like, how am I going to get this piece? And I wonder, I wish I had something that I could just make it or a cell phone case or things like that. But I don't have a lot of needs for it. But it was sort of like, it would be interesting if you could push a button like and get the design of whatever product you make that gets broken or something like that. So I'll give you my personal use case. Okay. I'm a photography enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. I'm a hobbyist. I shoot in a lot of old film cameras. Mm-hmm. There are no spare parts for these cameras that there were made not. 50 years ago, right? right? So what I do, I design the custom parts mm-hmm. and I print them on my method. Right. You know, And then I put them, by the way, on Thinkiverse and some other, I would say, enthusiastic like myself, photographers can use that part and, and, and use it. So I think that kind of thing will come and be more and more. And then me as an individual putting these files online, that's one thing. Then, you know, the, the chaos of the world and whatever company you name that wants to put their spare part and have it, it will happen. Right. I think the reason that 3D printing was so, I would say, well received within the water industry, mm-hmm. because the promise is a very strong one. And mm-hmm. I think it's a real one. Right. How to get there, I right. think that was like every, you know, you talked about VR, the same thing, you know, like three years ago, VR, right, world, yeah. Like, yeah, okay. Everything, so now, yeah, hot, yeah. hot, hot. Yeah, and, and, now, yeah, and, and now, we, and, and, and if, you know, we look at VR as well, but like there are like kind of, you know, surgical uh, simulators, yeah. right? Right. So that's amazing. So right. the, you know, it has to pass through something which is a professional or semi-professional phase mm-hmm. to mature the technology, to make it more easy to use, and I would say robust, and then it can move to the next consumer level. Yeah, 3D screens were one of them. Yes. And they're all correct. That That's what I feel like so a lot of them. Same thing with autonomous cars. Mm-hmm. Like, eventually, there will be, it will, that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Two years ago, nobody spoke about, uh, you know, type 1, type 2, type 3 right. uh, levels of autonomous cars, right. right? So now we understand that, like, this promise has to pass through different levels of uh, systems. But I want to get back to the question. Mm-hmm. The changes in manufacturing seem to be changes in automation is really what's going on. It's automation and mm-hmm. robotics, essentially. That's where a lot of the heavy manufacturing is, is headed, even mining and everything else. But the idea of fabrication is a very different thing, like this stuff we use. And I, at the end, I want to get into to um, environmental issues around sure. around this, could you print food still? I like I, like I remember being sold that bill. Oh, we're going to print food and clothes and this and that. Could you do that? 
I'm not, you know, printing food is like a syringe that you put like something and you just, you know. Yeah. You, so I don't think printing food is nothing relates to what we do. Right. And I think like it's very far-fetched. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a more difficult way when you can just make a sandwich. Exactly. Or, or just. <laughs> Sandwiches in art of heart. Yeah, it depends who. For me, it's right. a bit easier. Right. But, but I think that. You know, there are so many esoteric applications for, yeah. for that concept. I think it's going back to, like, you know, how do you get to the point where I think the promise is fulfilled? Mm-hmm. And you, you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, automation and, and robotics for manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So, like, two days ago, a team of ours went to one of the largest, you know, robotic, uh, you know, automation service provider for manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And they use 3D printing, mm-hmm. our 3D printer, to... Advance that manufacturing because the robot is the robot arm, but the end effector is right. what counts. Right. And, and to make these end effectors that will suit whatever multiple different uh, manufacturing line is still limited by that parts. Yeah, part availability and the cost. Mm-hmm. And I think we tap into that by having, you know, a new way, a much cheaper way, scalable way to develop and design and fabricate these end effectors. So again, the cycle of manufacturing in general by having more and more accessible tools to really create and use either production line tools, we call them jigs and fixtures, or mm-hmm. something that is like within the production line, assistive, like an end effector, or sure, with an end effector, or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think all of that kind of goes towards the same vision that you were talking about. At the end of it, we will be able to fabricate and manufacture things in a very smaller scale, in a much cheaper way, without the need to create a production line. Well, I think cheaper is what you have to get to, the concept of it. There was a, there's in San Francisco, this is off to the side, but it's a robotics example. They have a coffee maker that's robotic and a, you've seen them in yeah. San Francisco, and then there's a burger flipper that's that, that's robotic. And everyone's like, oh, cool. I'm like, well, it's not going to work until people are not as, people are cheaper right now. Yeah, but, you know, when you talk about manufacturing, mm-hmm. I think it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. To build a manufacturing line is, is not a cheap thing. Right. You know, now, now and additive manufacturing and 3D printing really changes that tremendously. Mm-hmm. Because instead of, you know, assembling things, you can print it. Right. You know, and it opens a new freedom that is was not there before because now you can build, like, organic shapes that mm-hmm. are, in one hand, keep the same strength, mm-hmm. but wait about fifth of the, of, to- of, of the alternative. And aerospace. Right. And, and many, I would say... Uh, Industries like that that has a very price or like price to weight, uh, uh, you know, um, performance issues mm-hmm. are tapping into additive manufacturing and 3D printing in a very serious way because it changes. The so convention. you have uh, schools like mm-hmm. education. You've mm-hmm. got uh, small manufacturing. Correct. What else does? That's enough. That's enough. Okay. Going back, going yeah. back. Like, you know, we, like, we we want to make sure, like like we became well, the leader in education uh, for, for 3D printing, mm-hmm. we now have to prove that we can do the same for manufacturing or mm-hmm. small manufacturing lines. And I think by investing in technology and having something which was few years ahead of the competition, I think we that's that's the first step to go. Right. What is the key technology now? What has changed in the technology of 3D printing? Whoa. So, so I think, you know, a lot of things. By the way, I think... Dumb like, it down for, that, so, for so I think I'll tell you what. Materials... Mm-hmm. are changing completely. Like, you know, there are metals and right. composites that right. were not thought being possible to 3D print that mm-hmm. are now printable. Right. So that's a unique and an amazing 
advantage in the market today because you can print materials that were not... So it wasn't all plastics. Yes. So now, that, now it moves away from plastic to composites and metals, for right, example. Right, right. So what would that be, a composite meaning? Uh, Let's say they can have a fiber carbon uh, you know, mm-hmm. material, right. which has a weight advantage and strength advantages that plastic doesn't have. Right. So, so that's like that. And, and so like, more and more materials come and become more available for additive and treatment. How does things. metal do that? How do you make, it's liquid metal, essentially. It's, it's you, there are, you know, you, you, the, the, the metal printing is a combination of, there are a few technologies. You take like a, what we call a plastic that has, a, you know, particles of metal mm-hmm. filled in, and then you extrude it. And then afterwards, you, you sinter it and you take the plastic away and then you, you're left with a sole metal part. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that, for example, like another process of manufacturing metal parts through additive manufacturing mm-hmm. and through the printing. So right. that was not, by the way, it's a relatively new thing. Right, um, right. So, so that's, or you can have like, you know, you can have like a plastic part and you have a continuous fiber around mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And then what you use, you just, you know, you use the plastic as a mold and then the fiber Play, you know, thread goes around it, and then it creates like a you know a fiber. Sure, uh, that makes sense. Know. So, so there are lots of, I would say, like. But metal would be the thing you'd really want, or correct? I mean, t- depends on application. Go, going back, you know, like trying to generalize, it's also not very helpful because sometimes right. you sometimes you'll need a metal part. Right. The majority of parts you use are plastic. Right. Right. So, so I think like the plastic use case or like, you know, the, the ABS, like injection molded sure. glass, is the most common material in the world. So I think plastics still have a lot of uh, place to to be. All right. So we're here talking with Nadav Goshen. We're going to get back and we're going to talk about uh, sustainability because it's been, I've just been talking to retailers who talk about this, making clothes and things like that. When we get back, he is the CEO of MakerBot. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.
We're here with the CEO of MakerBot, Nadav Goshen. He took over a couple of years ago. Um, the company's had somewhat of a rocky road trying to figure after an initial sort of, this is so cool, part of their uh, development. We've been talking about sort of technologies and, and where 3D printing is going. Um, they just introduced a new uh, device called MakerBot X. Method X. Me- I'm sorry? Method X. Method X, excuse me, and it's a MakerBot product. And uh, they also have a smaller printer called the Replicator. Right, uh, with a lot of the new ones have a lot of numbers after, but it's essentially the replicator, which is a small sort of desktop uh, printing uh, device. When we think about these things, when we're making them, one of the things I did think about at the time is like, oh, more plastic, more plastic, more things around the world. Now it was sold as the idea of that you don't have to make so many pieces, that it saves your you just in time manufacturing. The idea of that you could it was environmentally better. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of talk about uh, fast fashion, for example, that a lot of clothing uh, is environmentally problematic, obviously plastic bottles. Talk a little bit about thinking about the sustainability and environmental impact of this kind of thing. I think you're right. I think like the initial thought was like, you know, now instead of spending, I I don't think it's like it's the actual plastic uh, Mm -hmm. utilization that is the environmental, Mm -hmm. uh, I would say, cost or tax. I think building something, you know, for, you know, a manufacturing line entails a lot of different, I would say, wasted or not environmental friendly uh, materials that you would be, could avoid if you use something which is only a printer that prints what you need. So that thing for moving from a large, I would say, overhead to something that you only use uh, for what you need, that's a very... I would say very important things about mm-hmm. sustainability. Sort of the plastic fork problem. Exactly. So, right. so, and I think like that's, and you can use the same machine to do multiple different things. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to reinvest and reinvest. So the overhead on what you have and invest is limited to really one machine that you do and that can produce different parts and different, uh, mm-hmm. I would say, manufacturing items. So I think that's one of it. So mm-hmm. I think that's 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 also important. And also I think the scalability of it. When you have something which is can be spread across different locations, it also helps in terms of transportation. Mm-hmm. You don't need to transfer it from, I don't know, overseas or whatever country. You now can make it more local. So I think like the carbon uh, footprint. Of is shipping everything. Shipping, on the flying everything. So that that's also changed. So like I think there are a lot of... So when people look at that, they look about, hey, this is plastic and how much are we printing? But I think it's we need to look at the system. Mm-hmm. It's it, the overall industry around it and and how what the carbon or whatever environmental cost that that industry uh, mm-hmm. entails on us and how do you change that in a more radical way like transportation i think mm-hmm. part of it is transportation meaning moving them around moving yeah moving them around. around like you know like shipping them around and and also making quantities that you don't need right you right. know you, you run a production line you have to run i don't know hundreds of thousands of millions maybe you don't need them right maybe so, and then you know you need to store them right. inventory like where do you store them so, like, you need, you know, if you need to keep them in, in you know, in, in a relatively environmentally controlled place, so you need to, you know, cool right. this place down. Right. Or, so, there are a lot of, around that, there are a lot of, I would say, environmental issues that by just dispersing that manufacturing into small units, 
um, you 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 will change dramatically. So when you think about that, also that you know everything's now been uh, the controversies around tariffs and moving things beyond countries. You know, I, I don't agree with mu- much that Donald Trump does, but the idea of not manufacturing things in places, local places, either whether it's United States or elsewhere. And you know, most people who have hardware always say you just can't do it here. You have to do it in China, or you have to do it because of these massive manufacturing hubs, fabrication hubs. Is that something that can be replaced, the idea of that, that there are places where all the pieces are and therefore should be fabricated somewhere. Can think, that, could that change? I think for some application, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're talking about something which is like, as I said, like high skill by definition, I think 3D printing and additive manufacturing, right now, that's not the right solution for it. Mm-hmm. So if you need something which is like, you know, this bottle the cap, iPhone, yeah. you know, so that, that's not the right way. You need something else. But for others, yes. I think something more specialized limited quantities that requires maybe different advantages that traditional manufacturing don't have. So I think that could change. And so, and going back, the shift will happen. Mm-hmm. Like it will start with like, you know, small production lines. And then as machines become more and more advanced, it will be larger and larger and faster and more capable. Mm-hmm. So I think it will transform manufacturing, like the dynamics of manufacturing yeah. um, in a significant way. That's, I think that's the reason I think 3D printing and additive manufacturing is a game changer in manufacturing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It will take time, right? But, but it's a game changer in the way. What's that, the resistance to the change? Just that it's easy to do it; it's cheaper and no, easier. No, I think it's more than that. Like when you talk about manufacturing techniques, mm-hmm. they are three thousand years old. Right, that's what I mean. It feels <laughs> yes, like yeah. it's one of the areas that hasn't been iterated. Yes, I think because of because it's a, it's the process is so lengthy and 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 you know, part of what we do by the way with Method X is we enable large organization to have engineers. And, you know, kind of um, try for themselves in, in 3D mm-hmm. printing and additive manufacturing because mm-hmm. they're still thinking subtractive. Right. So when they design, they say, hey, I cannot do that because I will need to manufacture it. And, and there is no such way to do something like an organic lattice mm-hmm. thing. So there is what, what we call generative design that comes to help. Right. You just try to kind of help engineers to bypass their mindset, <laughs> you know, What they barriers. can make. Yes. And I think, like, going back, like, the more and more engineers and the more and more organizations will tap into 3D printing. And I think going back to the accessibility of it, because mm. if I have a printer that I just send the file to some, I don't know, small yeah. shop in the different building, so I don't know what 3D printing is. For me, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I just get the part. Yeah. So, but when I try and I see it for myself, mm-hmm. then I can say, hey, maybe I can do something different than what I've thought before. So all of that, uh, let's call it like... Creates a creativity. Yes, create creativity and, and educate engineers and the sales force to think additive. I think that's one of the main challenges in all of this manufacturing, uh, mm-hmm. I would say, transformation. Right. But I'm talking about play, when we have these you know, trade wars and things like that, they want, it is a lot, lot when it comes to technology around... You can't manufacture much outside of China, for example. You can't manufacture much outside of certain geographic zones. Where do you imagine manufacturing fabrication going in the next? It seems like it's ripe for shifting. I think so. I think not you know, just the creativity of what you can make, but how we make things. Yeah, you you know, like manufacturing, like I don't know, fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. or it, it wasn't centered in China as it is today, right? Mm-hmm. So there are shifts that happening within the global manufacturing trends. Right. Uh, you know, apparel and clothes are manufactured in a different place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think 
there is a value for expertise, for vertical integration, uh, which usually happens in the same location. Mm-hmm. Because when you have supply chain, which is very close to the assembly line, it helps. We right. know that. We manufacture. Right. Right. But I think this thing can change around. Um, and, and, and I think having more and more manufacturing options is good. Right. So let's t- to finish up talking about MakerBot and where it's going. Where do you see, so you make this new product that you're trying to uh, get people to use and focus on just those two markets. Mm-hmm. Where do you see ever getting back to the idea of, of consumers at all, or do you feel like that's... Hey, as I said, the promise is there. And I think going back to the way I think we operate right now, the product has to deliver. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't deliver the promise, then it becomes something which is, you know, just create frustration right. for us in the market. And I think part of it is like it drives away people from that industry. It does. It was interesting because when I first saw it, you know, every, all the, I hate to say it, but all the man, men reporters were like, cool, cool, cool. I was like, it's a bread machine, right? Like you're not, you're going to buy it and then never use it again. So, like so, uh, you know, I kept you know, calling it a bread machine so, so, and it annoyed your founders. So, so, so I, you know, when I took on board, I divided the market into three. Right. One is, Let's call it SMBs, semi-professional right. manufacturing. Right. The second is education. Right. And the third one, I call it gadgets. Yeah. Not products. Yeah. And I think that was, at the time, that was the majority of the market. Right. And I said to my team, I'm moving away from being a gadget provider mm-hmm. to a product, <laughs> you know, maker. Right. And I think that's one of the main differences, to understand what is a gadget. A gadget is a good thing, you know. You buy it because of the promise. Right. You use it Fidget once or twice. Spinner. Yeah, or... Or, or whatever, know, bread where, machine or the, anything. I, I can give you, like, a very good example. Sure. Like, you know, um, drones, right? Drones. Like, yeah, I would say, like, yeah. Yeah, nobody has drones anymore. Nobody, but the pro- but what he did, it transformed aerial photography yes, aerial in, a significant, yes, got, in a significant yes. way. But, you know... It was a business application. It, it was is a, a business it, application. It could be a delivery application. It could be, yeah, but it, it, it transformed, like, you know, like, uh, five years ago. To have an aerial shot, you had to spend, I don't know, hundreds of thousands yep, of dollars? Yep, yep. Now my friend in his bar mitzvah has like an aerial shot of, uh, <laughs> of his kid, uh, you know, backyard. So, I was talking to a celebrity. He said, it's so drones are so annoying now they can get pictures of me in my backyard. That's one of the applications. But there are drones that can do that. And there are mm-hmm. hundreds of different that are gadgets that they can fly, right. but they will break immediately after. So right. does it entail something about the drone industry? Mm-hmm. No. It entails that there are different levels of investment and different levels of technology yeah, complexity that's a really good. That, that you do that. And I think we opt to be in the higher end. We want to deliver on the technology advantage that mm-hmm. we can. And that's the reason, like in, in, you said, like the investment was three years. Right. So you would imagine how much money it costs mm-hmm. to invest in something like that. And there are a lot of challenges. It's not an easy thing to make. Right. And then to make it work and to make it reliable. And so I think the barrier of entry is significantly high. Mm-hmm. I believe that the gadget side of the business mm-hmm. uh, will, I would say, consolidate in a way. Right. And, and at the end of it, there will be a few players that are really investing in product and technology, and mm-hmm. they want to advance the market in a significant way. And, and MakerBot is opting to be one of these. So when you when you think of that change, when it's not a gadget thing, one of the, the big things around it was the designs that were all, and there was fights over designs and things like that, and it was on think, it's Thinkerverse, yes. right? What happens to that? We still, if you ask me about consumer, I, I right. truly believe that content is keen right. in consumer application. Right. And the reason that we invest and continue to invest in Thinkiverse mm-hmm. is because I think the content is 
something which is very important and we need to be a facilitator for that. Mm-hmm. Even though it will be in five, whatever years, right. I think by having the, what we call the Wikipedia of 3D printing. It's explain what Thinkiverse is for people. That it's a, it's yeah, a site okay. where the designs are. Yeah. Really. Say the best way to, to describe Thinkiverse is like there is like the Wikipedia of 3D printable files. Mm-hmm. There are I don't like some people contribute, you contribute. Yes, we contribute. Some people contribute. People can download it. It's it's free. Right. And 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 at the end of it, like you, it creates this community of. It's like tr- knitting, like knitting patterns or anything yeah. like that. Yes, I'm not. I'm not. When you do, there's there's ways things you can make. If you're a craftsperson, yeah. you go to places that get patterns or whatever. Yeah, but. I agree. So like for me, like it's like the Wikipedia repository. You want right. to you want to have like someone contribute to that, and then so it's a community of I would say 3D printing enthusiasts mm-hmm. that are contributing and moderating the community and adding more and more content and it's free for everyone mm-hmm. uh, and I think like for us this is like by the way it's the way you we were talking about sustainability it's a way to pay back to the industry that we are part of mm-hmm. uh, although people you know say we don't invest much we invest seven digit number mm-hmm. a year uh, in Thinkiverse uh, mm-hmm. to make it run right. and, and and I think going back the future is there will be content. Like, I put my files on Thinkiverse, right. and, and people download it right. and use it for their own cameras. So there is this cycle of, you say, let's say custom-made design, mm-hmm. and then and it will advance to be, I hope that... But it's not the biggest focus for you all anymore. No, it's it was not such a, a center of content. I remember yeah. people, I made this, this was yeah, mine. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a center of focus. The focus right. is education and semi-professionals, right. but it's still something that we invest in. I think yeah. it's still part, you can't predict everything. Yeah. And, and it, it's very important, as I said, going back to subsidiary and being innovation, right. you have to know that you need to let things happen by themselves and you need to foster innovation. Right. Sometimes fostering innovation is just don't touch it. Yeah, absolutely. And and on that, I want to finish up asking, how do you think uh, young people, since you're in the education market, what has to happen so people do think about uh, being creative with manufacturing and design? You know, like this is like maybe I can use that platform. You know, tech education is still not uh, well invested, mm-hmm. right? And and I think we, we I have three kids, right? And and, and one of my kids has a makeabot at school, mm-hmm. and she came back I think, two or three years ago, and she told me she look at that. I learned how buoyancy mm-hmm. uh, for whatever shapes work just because I printed like a small boat and had a trial to sync it with the with with coins and, mm-hmm. I, and my team won uh, mm-hmm. so and the way she learned about buoyancy and physics mm-hmm. was so immersive that any other form of education would not be able to achieve that mm-hmm. and i think like part of it is how do you make things like physics math computing mm-hmm. more engaging right and for kids and in my case let's say for girls mm-hmm. right so it's a real challenge mm-hmm. and i think and, and we come and other providers, not of not only of 3D printing, come with this, I would say, option to give the education system new learning tools that right. can really change the way kids are perceiving um, technology. Right. And, and I think the more we invest about that as a society, mm-hmm. we will benefit from it. Like, you know, in two, five, ten years, my kid will know much more about physics than she would have if she would just sit in a, in a class and right. read like uh, formulas and whatever. Yeah. So I think there is a big, big thing that we need to do as a society to invest into it. And, and, and you know, like we look at that as, as a provider and it's still, you know, it's not a common thing that every school should have a reader mm-hmm. printer. Right. Uh, no, and, not at all. And why is that? 
you know, like a blackboard is traditional. Right. And, and why not something more technology? That is a really good idea to end on. Uh, Nadav, I really appreciate, uh, Nadav is the CEO of MakerBot, uh, which is, has changed a lot more than you think it is, which is why I wanted to have them here. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Nadav, where can people find you and MakerBot online? Yeah, go to makerbot.com and mm-hmm. find me on LinkedIn okay. and then ask me anything you want. All right. If you like this episode, we really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcast, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Rabe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.